project that I did last year, um, and I, this was my SMART goal in my district last year, was developing this project, and so it's a culmination of um, a lot of time and effort. I went to what would be, it's PBL Works now, but it's, it's Buck Institute. Um, I went to two summer trainings on that, and some of their trainers are, are here running that PBL workshop. Um, I went to that. I spent a lot of time just like thinking about some of these really big issues in our society and how um, discrimination affects every single one of us, whether we realize it or not. Um, and went to some really specific race training on it um, that was provided in a local church, actually, in Grand Rapids. Um, that was an awesome training. So if you ever are looking for something like that, um, I can give you the information for that as well. Um, and so what you're going to see today is, it's definitely not perfect. Even while I was working on this, I was thinking about things that this year I'm going to do better. Or now that I did this project, I'm doing things really intentionally in my classroom, even this fall, to prepare my students for some of the skills and the things that they're going to need in order to be successful. Um, I just set up a, a back channel chat, so if you write down that code there, the B3BJL, um, you can access that for up to three months. So I put a link to the slides here, um, and then my email is also in there. And if you have other questions, feel free to ask me. Um, you can email me, or you can stick it in that presentation, and I will uh, respond later. <clears throat> so I am very passionate about trying to get my students to want to make change in this world. Um, they talk about it a lot. I think in Christian schools, we get them over the head with the idea, like, you should be Jesus. And then they'll be like, mm, I don't know, I'd rather... Snapchat my friends, at least at the high school level. Um, and so I really wanted them to take ownership of some of that learning and, and what that meant. Um, and so that's kind of the, the origination of this project, which culminated. And this year, I don't know if I'll do the same product, but it culminated in, and I have, I brought all of them from last year, in these, these posters. Um, so students put together um, what started out as, and we looked at Humans of New York that blog. It was very famous a few years ago. Um, and some of the students had actually come across it, and they're like, oh yeah, this person on Instagram does the same thing. And I was like, cool, because I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but they instantly were connected to that. And, and the, the element of storytelling, I think, is so powerful. And students, um, especially with history, like that, that's where I can get them. That's where I can connect to them. Um, so my own personal calling I grew up in Granville, Michigan, and I graduated from the high school that I'm now teaching at. Um, and that was not necessarily that, something that I wanted to happen. When I left that high school, it was a good experience, but I was like, oh, I'm done with this, I'm gone. Um, and I tried desperately to run. And while I was in that running phase, I had a lot of different experiences that made me think, made me question. Um, and so when I was very firmly called by God back to that school, um, I'm a different person than I was when I graduated. And a lot of that is because of some of the traveling I've done, some of the places that I've worked. Um, and something that I am incredibly passionate about is, is racial justice and, and seeking an end to systemic racism. Um, and so teaching my students how in America we've reached this point um, and, and kind of where we, where we can go from here. The political climate obviously is lending itself to these discussions as well, and that's a really, really delicate thing in the classroom to discuss because I am balancing a lot of different thoughts, um, and I get a lot of angry emails from parents, but it's something that I feel is, is worth all of my time. Um, so as we do this, um, I this project is worked into and throughout the civil rights movement kind of uh, Kind of the civil rights movement unit that I do. Um, and so this happens, at least for me, kind of right before spring break. And so um, I open that unit by talking about we and they, us and them, me and you, and how it's so, so natural for us to try to divide ourselves. This is who I am, that's who you are, and the whole attitude of that's fine, but don't talk to me about our differences, that type of attitude. Um, and I use the example of the, the civil rights movement as, you know, like, just a really beautiful yet sorrowful, sorrowful time in our history, um, and 
wanting the students to see how what has happened in the past uh, completely impacts them today. Um, we spend some time talking about how big problems need big solutions, and so you know, bringing a lot of faith-based information into the class to um, make it real to the students. This is who we are, this is who I am, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and showing them some different examples of what that looks like. So whether that's C.S. Lewis um, or the Our World Belongs to God uh, creed of the CRC. Um, and it's something that I start class with almost every day. We spend time praying in class because what we're talking about is heavy stuff. Um, my, my classroom is diverse, not overly diverse, but it is diverse for a Christian school. And so there are different voices in the room that we need to recognize, and we need to recognize that people next to us are reacting to the information in different ways. And so some of this, too, is just cultural training and empathy awareness. Um, we spend a lot of time in circles in my classroom during this unit. Um, uh, restorative circle practices, talking out a lot of what we're hearing. Um, and some of those things were skills that I was taught at this, this racial training conference. Um, allowing students to voice what they're thinking, helping them to all realize that, you know, I, I, I speak for one person, this is my experience. Um, it's, it's really, really powerful for students to hear that. Um, so, this, this idea of historical roots bring modern implications in it. It gives them relevance, it gives them ownership, especially when I tell the students, you can do this research project on whatever you want to do. Um, so this group was all about redlining. They thought that was just the bee's knees. <laughs> um, let's see, this group talked about police violence. Um, let's see. I had a, this group here. Um, read a whole book called Growing Up Black, and that was really, that was a beautiful study that they did for their research. Um, I had, sorry, I'm looking for the one I really want. This group, these were three female students who looked into Professor Pei at the university level and how that's really unfair, actually. There's a, there's a case going to the Supreme Court. Um, and I know the lady who filed the case, so that was really awesome for them to have that connection. I had kids polling the school and interviewing students at our high school for why boys' basketball games are well attended and girls' basketball games are not. And that was fascinating. Um, I had a group, they ended up talking about mission trips, short-term missions. Are they actually helpful or harmful? Um, and this is all, it's coming out of what they want. Um, a GRPS freshman student, okay? I actually, I know people in different schools, and so I used my connections um, to get some data from other schools. Teachers were willing to ask their, their kids a couple of questions, and then they sent me the responses. Um, I, know a, I know a cop who works at the intake at the Kent County Jail, and she was willing to speak, and she came to my classroom and talked to one of the groups. Like, it's amazing what people will do if you ask. Um, and so this becomes a highly relevant project. When we were done with it, the kids were like, let's do that again. What else could we study? And I was like, ah, sorry, we have to go back to regular school. Um, but that was confirmation for me that, like, this is a step in the right direction. Like, they, they prefer this over some of the other things we're doing in class. Um, so my main question here was, how has discrimination affected Green Rapids historically, and how does that past affect today's city? Um, if you follow the PBL model, they want you to have a driving question for your project. And so this was the driving question that I ended up with, um, where we started, what we talked about the whole time we were moving through the civil rights movement. Um, because I wanted them to see that, yes, we're looking at Selma, and yes, we're looking at things that happened in Birmingham, but it also happened in Grand Rapids, and look at all of these things I can show you. Um, and really open their eyes. So, skills and ideas addressed. Here's a whole list of things, and if you take that back channel link, um, you can click on a couple of these. These are things that I work on throughout the school year, but then in this project, all of those skills are hyper, hyper focused. 
um, and I'm assessing essentially each one of them. Um, so right now my students are working on a project that are investigating an issue in the world, and we just went through research skills of note taking. Um, and I'm trying to be really intentional this year in particular to teach them how to do that well. Um, and so if you go to those slides there, you can see the process that I lead them through. Um, and this is all I've been working in conjunction with our 10th grade English teacher, and so we're working together too so that all of these things are coming together um, because the students take ownership too when we're, you know, we're, we're doing research in Mrs. Boonder's room, but also in Mrs. B's room, we're doing the same research. And so she actually spent some time in her English 10 class allowing the students to research um, because it fit into her unit. Um, so then I got double the class time. Um, so my timeline. This project took three weeks of class time, but it was, it was spread out over six weeks initially. But with all the snow days we had last year, it ended up being like eight weeks. Um, and so it was about every other day that we would work on the project. Near the end, we worked on it solid for a full week. Um, and what the students were able to produce in that time period, in that time frame, I, I'm, it's really remarkable. If you start looking at some of the things that they wrote, like their research is very articulate. Um, we worked really, really hard on making these presentable. Um, and some of them are, are better in various degrees. Um, and then I also taught some really direct content um, with some instructions and mini lessons. So when we started our group work and we had to establish leaders and group contracts, we looked at leaders of the civil rights movement and how did they establish essentially a group contract with the people that they were trying to connect to? What, what um, skills and abilities did the leader have that made them an effective leader? And then the group talked about it. We went through circle practice and the groups that I assigned them went through and talked about it. And the person, I, I allowed them to select their own leader, and the person that they selected as their leader wasn't always the person that I maybe would have chosen as the leader, um, but because they chose, they took ownership of that. Um, grading. So grading in a big project like this is really hard because, right, the, I, I had them working in groups of threes and fours, and so what do you do with that? Um, well, part of it is... I graded the process, not the product. So their final thing that they produced, they got a very, it wasn't even a huge part of the grade in the grade book. This was, I think it was like 20 points. Um, and the whole project itself, I don't even remember, it was probably like 120. So this was a very, very small portion of what was going on. Because the goal wasn't, to get a grade on this one thing, but the goal was, how are you working together? What are you learning? What research skills can you show me? Um, and so I really graded this process. Um, so for individual grades, I graded their personal work. I figured out how to make their research, even though they were in a group, um, a personal thing that they had to complete, and so that made it really easy, um, kind of reassessing some of those, those uh, standards that we had already covered about research and note-taking. Um, and, and reassessing them. I also graded them individually on their group efforts. We had group check-ins. Um, and so, based on my observations in the classroom, what their group was reporting to one another, um, I, I have a rubric, which I can show you that I, I graded their, their group work on. Um, the group itself got one grade all together for their final product, but like I said, it was a very small portion of their grade. Um, and then the final product itself was all graded based on standards. So standards-based grading is something I've implemented in my room. And so this wasn't foreign to the students. Um, and they, like, we had checks along the way, so they knew where they were at in the standard. Um, and almost every group was very successful. Um, so here are the standards I pulled out myself. Okay, this is all busy work. I know this is teacher stuff. Um, but these are the things that I was working with them to do. Now, some of it is like, this is a huge standard if you've ever taught this. You can spend weeks on this. So that's why I'm spending weeks on it right now. So the students already are, have shown me in first semester and at the beginning of second semester that they're capable of this. We're just reassessing it again. Can you now do this in a group in conjunction with other people? Um, and so the learning targets and the structures I set up were a little bit different um, than they were earlier in the year. 
Um, differentiation considerations. So my room has a wide variety of learners. I'm going to stick them in a group and say, go for it, kind of. Um, so with differentiation, you can always change the content, the process, or the product. Um, and I suggest changing just one of those things. So I changed the content, so the students got ownership of their content, which allowed for buy-in. Um, the process that we went through was almost identical. Their research ballooned out into different avenues. Like, like I said, one group was reading a book, one group was interviewing cops, one group was doing like a straw poll at the school. So that went into a wide variety of places, but the process itself of how we were doing the research in the classroom was for the most part the same. Um, and then the product was the exact same. So that was how I chose to differentiate. Um, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do this coming year. I might allow them to do something a little bit different on their product or give them a couple of options for their product. Um, some of the groups had some really good ideas and I was like, nope, we're all doing this. Um, and so next year I think I'll do that. As far as grouping, um, I grouped in every one of my hours, I did group one, um, I had one group of really high achieving students, I put them all in one group together. Um, and this was based on that they were interested in similar topics. So first they reported to me, oh this is what I'm interested in, and then I tried, I tried really hard to make one group of high achieving students. Um, and I did that because this type of project lends itself to a lot of above and beyond things, and that group of kids isn't always given that opportunity, um, and so I, I let them do that. And then the rest of the groups, I had some, what you would like have stronger academic students and less strong um, academic students, um, but they were grouped primarily based on the topic that they were interested in. Okay, so the steps. If you were to click on this link, you can see this is the doc that I pushed out to the students at the beginning of the, of the unit. I'm going to go through those steps with you right now, how I set this up. Um, feel free at any time as I talk about this to like ask me questions. I just want to give you an overview of how I did this, so hopefully you could replicate it. Um, but also, I don't know, give you an idea of what's going on in my brain as I consider these things. Um, so any good... Uh, PBL has some sort of a hook, something to get the kids interested. I had a speaker lined up who was supposed to come in three times, all three times we had a snow day. So that didn't happen. <laughs> um, so I, then I had to get creative. Um, but the, I, when I use speakers in my room, I have a form for debriefing a speaker. And this works really well, having the students break down what they're talking about, what that means to me, and now what should I do with that information. Um, so that didn't happen, but this year I hope to have someone in. He has actually already come to my class this year, and so I'll have him as a recurring guest. Um, he's a, uh, a city council person for the city of Grand Rapids, for Ward 1. And so he offers all kinds of knowledge about things involving um, discrimination. Um, I did, as kind of the basis for how we were going to look at problems and solutions, I used the example of the Chicago... Um, bus boycott, the Chicago, it was a school bus, it was a whole thing that happened um, in 1963. Martin Luther King got involved, and it was actually very unsuccessful. Like, they did all the right things, and then nothing happened. Um, and I wanted the students to see, because I think sometimes in history we talk about, like, look at all these successful people. Look at all these people who did these great things. And the kids look at me, and they're like, well, I can't do that. And I wanted to show them... Well, sometimes you don't actually do that. Um, and I think it's a good reminder for the students to see. Um, we talked about within that then the, the different types of justice that you can seek in a society. Restorative justice, reparative justice, or retributive, retributive, I don't even know how to say that word, justice. Um, so our society tends to fall here, okay? If you did something wrong, you go to prison. You have to pay a fine. This is where we're at. Um, every now and then we get here, we can get groups of people in the same place to try to repair the damage, um, to try to, you know, seek understanding. Um, rarely as a society do we get here, where we actually restore what's happening, we restore the process. And so as we're talking about this, the students are brought back to some of the things we talked about in the civil rights movement, where we talked about they got this passed, but then nothing happened. This court case occurred, 
and then Little Rock, Arkansas occurred. Um, and showing the students how, where on this scale are we falling? Um, where as humans do we maybe need to put in some more effort to actually restore what's happening? Um, we, I, I led this discussion on the bus boycott um, very much, it was like a spider web, a Harkness model discussion in the room. Um, and the students brought up some really, really fascinating points, just allowing them to express what they're seeing there, but then what they're seeing in their surroundings. Um, so at this point, they hadn't chosen groups, they hadn't chosen topics, they're just discussing this big idea. Um, and it's really beautiful, they're incredibly intuitive. Um, I, I think sometimes as teachers we forget just, just how smart our students are, just how much they actually see and they know. Um, and so as a teacher, it's just it's rewarding to see them discuss something that I feel passionately about. Um, next, I established the groups, um, and they set up their own group norms about what was going to happen. Some of the groups um, said, you know, if we're going we're gonna to work it as a group, then we're going to do like a house party and all be on the video chat together to make sure that we have everything set. Some groups set that up. When we're working at night, we're going to all video chat together. Um, some groups, you know, if someone's not doing the right thing, the next day in class we're going to remind them that they need to be doing the right thing. They set up some really, really cool things on their own. I gave them a lot of suggestions, but then as a group they established those items. Um, like I said earlier, uh, each group had a leader. That leader was basically in charge of letting me know if they went totally off the tracks, if they didn't know what to do next. Um, and that person was also in charge of uploading all of their documents to Google Classroom so that I just had one central location for each group to go look. Um, so I knew, you know, that Kate has everything for this group um, and she was in charge of, of putting it in. Um, and that was really, it was an effective model for me. At various times during these three weeks-ish of serious class time on this, I would pull the group leaders sometimes into the hall and say, with your groups, I need you to do this today, um, and gave them some ownership in that way as well. Um, we also reviewed the standards um, and the learning targets, the rubric um, with the group, so they could see what their target was, what they were supposed to be doing each day, especially for groups. <coughs> Um, if you go to PBL Works website, they have collaboration rubrics that you can just download. Um, and so I took that and edited it a little bit, but I essentially used what they provided. Um, the next thing that we did was we wrote research questions. So this is a big part of history common core standards as far as research and writing, is writing their own research questions. Um, so we started off with a really ridiculous example. I think it has something to do with Sesame Street. And I wrote, a, I wrote a research question with them based on this weird Sesame Street video that we watched. Um, then they wrote research questions on a different Sesame Street video in groups, okay, as a class essentially. Um, and then they wrote individual research questions on their topic at that point. And then as a group, they sat down and I gave them some sentence stems to go around to critique, suggest, and build on each other's research questions. And then as a group, they used all four, all three of their research questions to write one group research question. Um, at that point, they kind of stand and deliver to the rest of the class. Here's our research question. Um, and using the same sentence stems, other students in the class were able to critique and suggest based on that. Um, because they knew that their, their ultimate goal was to present to their peers. That was their audience. And so I want to make sure my research question is going to mean something to my peers. Um, the next thing they did was a lot of uh, research um, and building a work cited. Um, so a lot of these skills we had talked about before, I had them. And this was how I dealt with, like, how do you do group research? Um, this was the solution I came up with. With their larger research question, they had to come up with some smaller parts to help them answer that larger research question. So this question here, um, so this one is about Chicago homicides. They went off the, the Grand Rapids train. There were a couple of kids in there with grandparents in Chicago. so. I don't know, they got interested. Um, and their research question was something to do about, like, what do we do about this? I don't know. 
what they had to do then was they had to break that down. What are, what are we going to need to research in order to answer our research question? So they came up with three or four smaller research questions, and each student was in charge of answering that smaller research question. Um, so myself as a teacher, I could see what each student's target was, and I could guide them in that way. Um, and it was also individual. I had to show up to class with my research done, or I was letting my whole group down, um, and I had very few problems um, teaching 80 students with people not coming to class with their work done. Um, they always came to class with their work done because they didn't want to let down their group members. Um, we also built an annotated works cited. So I took the works cited idea and we amped it up one level. Um, and so as part of the research, um, I had them make an annotated works cited. Um, and that was, that was good. I'm happy I did that. Um, the, the 11th grade teachers this year are saying thank you, because they don't have to teach that. Um, we, we had group check-ins um, almost every other day. Sometimes it was very informal. I'd sit down with a group and just say, hey, how's it going? Um, some days I had them fill out Google Forms um, saying, you know, here are the three members of my group. I've done 30% of the work, so-and-so has done 60% of the work, and so-and-so has done 10% of the work. Here, let me show you this. Um, and so I tracked things like that. I also asked them really simple questions. What's going well? What's not great? Um, what needs to keep happening? What needs to stop happening? It's really interesting when you give them this broad of a question, what they come up with. Um, and then if I saw anything, I did conference with groups. Um, we had one group that just like absolutely fell apart and it was not a group I was expecting to fall apart. Um, but we like, at one point I had them out in the hall and we were sitting out there trying to figure out Whatever happened the night before, two of the girls in the group got into a big fight and they were like yelling in my class. Um, and we had to figure that out. And it was okay in my mind that the other students watched how we handled that as a group, how I helped them work through that. Um, the other groups then also were like, well, we don't want that to happen. And all of a sudden they were more open and honest <coughs> with one another about their work levels and their participation levels. Um, it, yeah. It, it was really, really beautiful. It went so much better than I had thought. Um, in the group that did kind of derail, they did make it back on track. Um, so that in and of itself is a bit of a story. Oh, the other thing on this slide. Um, I had them throughout the, the time also self-assess themselves on their rubrics. So handed out highlighters and said, where are you in your research skills? How do you feel like you're doing? Where are you in your group work skills? How do you feel like you're doing? I had them self-assess, um, and I looked over those, and if I felt like a student was self-assessing very inaccurately, I sat down with those students um, and conferenced with them very briefly in class. Hey, you're thinking this. Why do you think that? So you're not incriminating them. You're not doing anything. You're just asking them why they chose that. It was really interesting to hear some of the students try to explain why they chose what they chose. They knew that they had been caught in a lie. Some of the students, though, honestly just didn't understand that the way that they were conducting themselves in the group was very unhelpful to the group. Um, and so I had some really nice conversations with students about how, you know, what actually participating in a group looks like, or, you know, you can't look grumpy. <laughs> like, you look grumpy, your group's scared of you. Um, and having some of those conversations, too, which are weird conversations to have with students, um, but they, they always appreciate them, it seems. Um, I think our kids want, want to know what they need to do to be better. Um, and I think sometimes we as teachers are scared to actually tell them. Um, but I had those conversations with students, and it, it worked. Um, when their research was complete, I had them fill out a research report. This is essentially a simplified version of, like, a... If you were to write a peer-reviewed article, this is the structure it comes in. And I have the students essentially write that out. This is what our research is showing us. Um, because they had to discuss their results, too, this is where we brought in how are you going to bring justice to this situation, what type of justice is needed, um, and really pushed the students into this. Some of the groups had to go back to the drawing board and do some additional research, which really bothered them. Um, but their end result was much better because of that. 
Um, their product creation. We spent quite a bit of time um, deciding what images they were going to put on here. Um, this group here took their own picture. They thought that would be best. Um, I used essentially uh, really famous photos from the civil rights movement, and we talked about why are these why are these images now famous or cemented? What about them makes them like what they are? Um, and we spent a whole lot of time talking about the power of colors and words and spacing and um, the, the image at the top. So in Humans of New York, they take a, a picture of the, the person that they're interviewing. And so I really wanted them to capture their research in one, um, in one picture. And the students rose to the occasion. It was really interesting because we had already worked out how do you critique things with our um, writing a research question. They were able to critique their partners or their group choices of images because they all had to come to class with here are three potentials and here's why. Um, and then they had to work out as a group which one they thought was best and why. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about expository text and descriptive text. Um, so this is supposed to read like a narrative, but they want to put in some of their research statistics. And so how do you balance telling a story with 59% of blah, 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 and how do you make it not feel like a newsreel, and how do you not make it feel like a human interest story, but somewhere in the middle? Um, and so we spent a lot of time with that. They spent a lot of time critiquing each other's writing. This was another skill I built into my class. Um, we do it at a very small scale with paragraphs, okay? This is obviously a lot larger. Um, and what you see on each poster is actually a culmination of all of the students' original work that they did. Um, they pieced together from all of the, like everyone wrote this, and then they as a group took the best from all of them. Um, and so that's really proud for kids. On the night when they were all displayed, they're like, Mom, I wrote this part. You know, like coming up and showing them. And, um, it was just awesome. Um, and yeah, we spent a lot of time editing. Uh, once their, their posters were established, we had a feedback day, and I used sticky notes. Um, every single group went around to every other group's poster and offered feedback. Um, we had block periods, so this took a full 90-minute block for me, um, but it was well, well worth it. I had prepped the kids because they had been critiquing themselves all the way through this process. Um, I had let them know, you got to have this done because this is what we're doing today. Um, and I printed these out in a much, much less formal version for them to, to give feedback. Um, but the students then went around with their sticky notes and each kid, and they decided as a group which student would have which topic. But each student was either in charge of content or scholar quality, which we were calling like our citation, how they were putting their quotes into their, their writing, um, the image, and then just the general appearance. And each kid was given a task. I gave them some sentence stems to use for each one of those. Um, but if I was the content student, my job every time when we went up to a new poster was to read the content and to check it for grammar errors, to check it for um, clarity and understanding. Um, they read it out loud to their group members. I have them read out loud in my class all the time. So the first thing they did was the content person showed up, read the whole thing out loud to the rest of the group. Um, they offered sticky note feedback, so they just left it on the poster in the spots they thought were appropriate. Um, it was interesting when groups would disagree with each other as they would go around the critique, we liked this, and they're like, no, we don't like this at all. And giving reasons why they thought they could do it better or do it worse or whatever. Um, and then I had them sort all of their feedback. So what was helpful, what's unhelpful, what's too vague, um, and they sorted all of the sticky notes into piles. They took the what was most helpful feedback pile of sticky notes, and then they divided up the sticky notes about their group members and each group member was in charge of addressing whatever sticky note they got of highly helpful feedback. Um, so even helping the students see, this is maybe a good idea, but it's super impractical for what we need to do. Or um, this person we actually very much disagree with, but we're going to address it in a different way. And so it was really interesting to see the groups work that out and try to um, sort out what was helpful and unhelpful. 
um, presentations and display. Um, I had them present just to their class. They presented their posters to their class. Um, and so part of that whole process was that um, they couldn't just read their poster. And so the students got up there and they, from memory, because they've been working with this research for weeks, um, from memory were able to tell the students what they had learned, what they thought should change, um, what they were hoping to change in their own lives. Um, some of the students uh, started volunteering at various organizations because of this. Like, they felt really passionate about it. Um, and then I put up their verse. So I had to present to their class. Uh, PBL oftentimes wants them to present to a group of um, experts or something like that. I thought the experts were the peers in this case because they were doing research that could benefit their own lives. Um, and so I wanted them to present to their peers. I thought that was their expert group in this case. Um, they were also displayed at showcase night. We have a showcase night at the high school. And so all of their posters were up in the hallway near my classroom. Um, it was like just this wall of discrimination posters and what's wrong with our world. <laughs> um, so that in and of itself is humbling. You could see when people got to our hall and they started realizing what they were looking at. It was like a museum that just uh, but the kids were so proud to show their parents. Um, throughout the process, I had the kids show what they were doing to their parents, and so um, I got some really great feedback from all of that. Despite the fact that some of their topics are what you would consider controversial, um, these kids felt really, really strongly in their opinions, and I felt like their end result was very much one that was rooted in, in Christian faith and Christian living. Um, they're more empathetic humans because of what they discovered, um, which, starting off, was one of my main goals. So after the project, like two weeks after the project, I had the kids reflect on all of this. I didn't want to do it right afterward. I waited a couple weeks before I had the kids reflect. Um, I asked them some fairly vague questions, similar to, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, um, what do you want to keep doing, what do you want to stop doing. I gave them variations of those questions um, and just had them reflect in class one day for me. Um, and some of the things that the kids said were incredibly powerful. Um, they felt empowered to do something even if they couldn't change everything. Some of the kids brought up that Chicago boycott that we looked at the beginning and they were like, you know what, I think it would be worth it just to take a stand even if this, this doesn't do anything. I was like, good. That's what I want you to do. I want you to participate in this world um, in a way that will hopefully bring good things, even if it's not complete. Um, so that's what I did. That's a lot. And I hope I gave you a good overview of what I did, some of the steps that I went through. Um, if you have questions, I'm more than willing to share things. Um, so just let me know. I'm always looking for other history teachers or English teachers to talk to and work things through with. Um, I love collaborating. Yeah. I'm sorry, I came late. I might have missed yeah. it. What grade do you teach? This is 10th grade. This is 10th grade U.S. history. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I'm curious a little bit more about the scaffolding of the research that you do, particularly first semester. What are some of the topics you use? Yep. Some of the methods you use? Because one of the things that you always hear from history teachers, it's like, we can't just let kids loose in the internet, and you're not doing that, you're doing some carefully prepared work. What does that look like? How does yeah, that look? Um, so right now, actually, the students are doing a small personal inquiry on, um, we're studying the progressive movement and muckrakers, so they chose an issue in society, I gave them a big list. Um, some of them are related to racial discrimination, some of them are just like straws in the ocean type of things. Um, and what I do with them is, I, I do let them loose in the internet and see what they come up with, but then we scale it back and we look at what's reliable, what's credible, what's authoritative, and how do you know that? And I have the students sort and select their own sources um, based on that. Um, they, so this week I actually, they all took notes on one of their sources that they chose for this project, and on Tuesday night this week, I looked over 85 sets of one notes to give feedback to the students on what went well with that note-taking and what didn't. Um, that was a massive amount of work, but my, my end result is going to be glorious. I know that, because <laughs> I've done it before. 
Um, so this is the framework that I used, and I developed this with our, um, our 10th grade English teacher, and she uses this same slideshow in her class. Um, it comes from a variety of places. Some of it is like Mesa stuff for English. Some of it is um, that. But I just, I'm really intentional with them about explaining the dangers of plagiarism too. Um, really intentional with them about looking for bias and seeking well-rounded perspectives. Um, that's something that I teach in my class daily. And so some of these things, I don't know exactly how to answer your question, I guess, because I just I do it. Um, this is our, our main list of things that they refer to when looking for a reliable, trustworthy, credible um, source. And I hold them to this standard. I tell them if they hand in an assignment or a research project with something that does not fit this criteria, after we go through this, that I will send the whole thing back to them with a zero and say, fix it. Um, and they really hate that. And some of them try it, and then the first one I send back, they all talk to each other and they're like, she actually followed through. Um, but this is the, the basic that I use for that. You, you've done this slideshow with them before their first foray into researching yes. whatever it was before mm -hmm. the Muckraker's assignment. Yes. Okay. Yep. So like we're doing that now, and it's going to come back like two or three times before they get to this project. Yeah. Um, I wonder. Uh, oftentimes, I direct students to the mel.org site. I know yeah. it's frustrating, but I just wonder. <laughs> it is. It's, it's so frustrating. frustrating but I no, you're not. You're not wrong. I, uh, do you do you find that as like one of the places that kids? Do try to yeah, they, to yeah, they do try there. Um, I'm actually taking classes at Calvin University right now, so sometimes they find an article that they can't access on the MEL, and I'm like, I'll just pull it up from the Hackman Library for you. I, <laughs> that might be super sketchy. I feel like it's fine. Um, I do, especially in the upper levels of history at our school, we have the students do research from peer-reviewed peer journals. Um, and our school does subscribe to a couple of databases, and so we have more access than MEL. Um, but yeah, that's one of the most frustrating websites I've ever visited. I've emailed them. Yeah. Well, I think it, part of it is that they're constantly reviewing their databases, and so it's it's always yeah yeah. Um, have you have you used the Eric? I have. Okay, that's a that's another. It's a government database. That one's decent. And it's structured actually a lot better than the MEL one. Well, the the one section of MEL that I really like is the Gale section mm -hmm. yeah. because, especially in your situation with the um, uh, contrasting viewpoints yes. uh, and how you can annotate yes. and whatever yep. else. Yep. Um, for note taking, as far as on sources, this is kind of the main thing that I use for them. Um, I use a single point rubric when I'm teaching these skills, so I give them this list. This is your target. And then, like I said, when I was reading all their notes the other night, I told them, you're below target, you're above target, here's why. Um, and I give them really, really concrete examples of this is what's not right, this is what is right. You need more paraphrasing. Your paraphrasing is way too close to the, the source, I can tell, because you would never use these words. <laughs> um, and so pointing those things out to the students, it, it's invaluable. Um, so that's kind of the, the basics for my note taking. Um, we did just go over ways to structure notes on a, on a doc. Um, and I gave them some options to choose from, and I said, or like, why don't you mix up some of these options? And so some of the kids have a hybrid from some of the things that I gave them. Um, and those I just took from former students who developed super awesome ways to take notes. I, like, I'm not coming up with this, they are. Oh yeah, this is their worst. This is the worst slide. I hate this slide. Are you done? No. <laughs> Other questions? You mentioned um, parent pushback. Um, I'm at a, a school where I'm also, um, I've been in conversations with my principal and like trying to grapple with some of these like 
control or reconciliation. So I'm just wondering what uh, what kind of parents pushback you had and how you addressed that. Um, like very I yeah, I've been told <coughs> I've been told in parent teacher conferences to read my Bible. Oh. Um, I get very angry emails and it like it just kills me. Um, they, they come from a variety of places and from a variety of misunderstandings is what I've found. Um, usually when a parent comes to me who's that angry, I always try to sit down with them in person, as terrifying as that is. Um, as soon as you get them talking, you realize there's usually a massive pain body related to something that we're talking about in class. Um, that allows me to be incredibly empathetic and compassionate, more so than I could usually be. Um, but yeah, I, I get pushed, like, I get people who are angry that I'm teaching my privilege. I systemic racism, racism is dead comments. Um, like, you name it, it's happened. I'm either too conservative or too liberal. Like, I don't know. It, it happens, it happens. Um, those conversations, though, building a, building a school community where all can belong, I, I feel like I have to have those conversations, and so I, I do it, and it's terrible, <laughs> but I do it. Um, usually, you they're they're okay after the conversation. Um, the lady who told me to read my Bible in the parent-teacher conferences, she's not okay with me still, but that's all right. That's on her. Well, I guess uh, my question to you was, um, to, uh, or as I'm thinking about, is do you feel it would be uh, productive, and I know that um, this would be specific to you, it's not for everyone, do you think it's productive to have, like before a unit like that, have um, like a parent meeting and just have like, families come in and yep. just talk about what your perspective is, so you can kind of say, hey, these are the things that are going to be discussed. If you don't like the word rape right, privilege, um, it will be discussed. And, you know, yeah. the, this time. I mean, I, so I sent an email to the parents before we start this, and I encourage them, if you have any questions, let me know. Um, I give them resources of things that I had read or collected um, from various perspectives when I sent that email. Um, that just give them some more context into what I'm thinking and why why I want to do that. Um, what's really fascinating is that parents don't tend to push back how I teach the history. They don't like that I teach that it has implications today, is what I find. Mm -hmm. So studying this progressive era, I have gotten zero pushback for students learning about how to make change in the world. <coughs> but the closer I get to present day, the more they get irritated. So um, this project overwhelmingly, I didn't get a lot of pushback because students were able to choose their own topic. Um, and so parents tend to be a little more understanding. If I had told them all, you're going to study white privilege, I think I would have gotten steamrolled. Have you ever gotten parental support? Yes, yes. I have parents tell me often, too, that, like, thank you so much. We've had great conversations at the dinner table. My child's eyes are opened. Like, I get that a lot, too. So don't think it's all bad. Um, overwhelmingly, it's good. You just always have a few oh, yeah. loud <laughs> critiquers. <laughs> was that initial training that you did, was that a core training? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. My wife's doing that as we speak. I, I went to that and then was super sick the next week. I like, I think it completely emotionally wrecked me in a good way. But like, I got really sick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'd just like to ask oh, okay. some questions. Uh, I, I, this, this is going to sound like a critique, but it's not. I'm just anticipating potential pushback from some people and my other side of my brain, too. How are you still covering content when you're taking so much time with these lengthy research projects? Don't you need to cover a bunch of stuff? Right? Yeah. So that happens every now and then. Um, uh, usually from parents. They're like, well, what blah, blah, blah. Like they try to, I don't know. The students, so throughout all of this, like I am covering all of the highlights of the civil rights movement. We look at when it turns violent. We look at all of the leaders. 
like I am covering the standards, the kids are taking small quizzes, like um, almost like formative assessment on the history material, but they're taking that history material and they're applying it to what they're researching and doing, so I find that the kids remember it anyway, um, just because they're, they're using it day in and day out. So you, you said you had a week straight of working on this project, but otherwise it's right kind of like mostly at home with their groups. Like you set it up and then you say, all right, next two weeks we're doing stuff in class, but not on this project necessarily. Not necessarily. Time. So I try to keep my content instruct, instruction to mini lessons. So we'd spend the first 10 to 15 minutes of class talking about a historical topic. And then I give them a task to use that history in their project for the last 30 minutes of class. And whatever you don't get done, that's now your group your group's homework. Um, so lots of really small things that we were learning. Um, get it piled into there. Let me, this um, Which that in and of itself, like for me personally, I just want to teach all of the history because I love all of the history. And so that has been a real like struggle for me personally, figuring out what is essential and what is not. Um, we went through, when we went through PLC training at our high school, um, we went through like choosing power standards and writing learning targets and things. Um, so this is their review sheet for the 1960s and it has last year's standards in it because now they're all new as of June in the state of Michigan, which that is what it is. Um, but you'll notice I didn't actually write learning targets here, I wrote questions. So what ignited the civil rights movement in the 1960s? Okay, what would ignite a movement in Grand Rapids? Is that pairing question that goes with their project. Um, how did de jure segregation end? Does your topic need government influence in order to actually make lasting change? So taking some of these historical ideas and applying them directly. So every part of their project addresses something in here. And it's, it's all in here. But, yeah, that's how I, this is how I teach in my group. <laughs> um, and then I give the students this in the first day of the unit, and I give them like an outline for their notes as well. Um, and so they have everything right at the start and the whole time, and so they're able, you know, if the group needs some additional time with something, because they could sign up to conference with me during class, um, if they needed additional time with something, like, they have it all, and they can work at their own pace. Any other questions? I don't know when we're technically done.